Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS MVP project today. Today on the Big Break Software Podcast, we have Ashutosh Garg. He is the CEO and co-founder of Eightfold.ai. Eightfold's mission is to enable the right career for everyone in the world. Their AI platform is facilitating diversity and inclusion, removing bias from hiring and helping Americans get back to work through work with the U.S. Department of Labor. Ashutosh is going to discuss how he came up with the idea for Eightfold, how he built his team, funded it, funded the MVP, and gained his first few customers to reach seven figures MRR, which is he, he is doing now, and navigate their zero to product market fit journey. How are you today, Ashutosh? Very well. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Great. Great. So we've had Turing and a couple of uh, Dover.com. These are also sort of recruiting platforms. I imagine there's a number of them on the market. Can you tell me specifically what Eightfold.ai does uh, and how it do, and it ha- what problem it solves for its customers? Eightfold.ai was founded roughly five and a half years back with the mission of enabling the right career for everyone in the world. Okay. I'm a machine learning data science person by training. Worked at Google Research, IBM Research, started an enterprise before Eightfold. And as I was going through that journey, and sometimes as an employee, sometimes as an employer, what I realized is how hard it is for people to find the right job and how hard it is for employers to find the right people. Yeah, especially sometimes now, that, it's gotten harder, I think. I think yeah. it's even gotten harder after COVID. Absolutely. And what is happening is the reason why it is getting harder and harder, one is there's a huge mismatch in demand and supply. The skills are evolving extremely fast. Whatever we know today will be outdated in five to eight years from now, or much less valuable. Mm-hmm. In that world, we have to constantly upskill ourselves, become relevant for the enterprises, right? Mm-hmm. And that is creating a massive challenge in our society. So that is what led us to start Eightfold, saying that how can we help enterprises find the right people, be these people in their own organization, be it someone in the organization who can be upskilled or reskilled. Or it could be someone outside, an alumni or a candidate who can be brought in. Mm-hmm. And then providing them a career path within the organization so they end up staying with the organization and growing with the organization. Okay. So I noticed that in the intro, you guys talk about America, but then you also say for everyone in the world. Can you define what you mean by that? Uh, are you guys focusing on the U.S. or is it actually for everyone in the world? Or are you just starting with the U.S.? Given that we are based out of U.S., we started with the U.S., but very quickly we realized that this problem is global in nature and even every American organization 
or every large American organization is also global in nature. Mm-hmm. They have people everywhere across the board. And with COVID, that change has already gotten accelerated. So okay. I would say while we are based out of US, today we are solving it for everyone in the world. Okay. So let's talk specifically, you mentioned that you're working at Google and you noticed that this was a problem, but I want to go back to the original foundation story or the idea. Like, how did you see that this was a problem and what like what specifically were you trying to solve like if you could boil it down and you mentioned in the pre-show um you talked about your pitch and it sounds to me like we're really talking about the pitch what was the sort of pitch in the beginning that you're saying if you could boil this down to like two sentences what is how are you different from other ai hiring platforms that are out there i think there are two three questions we've done over there so maybe I will take one at a time each of those. The way it got started is as an individual, I realized that it is so hard for me to represent myself mm-hmm. and hard to know what enterprise is looking for. Yeah. On the other side, here's a simple example. When I was interviewing at Google, someone wanted to interview me by asking a few questions about C++. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was not a good coder. I told them, I'm not a good coder. You can interview me on C++, that is that may not get me a job, but ask me what I have done. And if I can do what I've done in my research, maybe I can learn coding as well. And fortunately for me, it worked out well. And over time, I ended up implementing numerous production systems at Google and coding all the time. Mm-hmm. But most people don't get that opportunity. And my thing was, can we change that? Can we provide the same level of opportunity to everyone? that hiring can be based on people's potential and not just what they have done. In that interview, can you just kind of, can you give me a more of a, a, a deeper example of what you did in that interview to, to make you stand out? Because it sounds like you did something maybe remarkable. If you're not a good coder, how did you get through that interview? Because I want to break that down. It sounds quite interesting. Um, I, was, I was just being lucky. So let me give you that story. Okay. I showed up for the interview. A gentleman walked in. Uh, I won't take his name for his privacy yeah. purposes. Yeah. But he walked in, he wrote some code on the whiteboard, said that, Ashu, can you find a fault in this code? Fortunately for me, that person had also done PhD, published few papers, and I knew about his research work in and out. Did you study it beforehand? Did you, or did you know this person was going to be giving the I interview? I had no idea. No. Okay, so this no was, idea. okay. It was coincidence, but, I guess. Because he was also a machine learning person, I was a machine learning person, okay. and I had done quite a bit of study in machine learning. Okay. So I was like, you know, I, I mean, I can attempt to answer your question, but that may not be the best judge of what I know. But how, what I can do is you can ask me anything about my research or for that matter, you can ask me anything about your own research and grill me on that stuff. And if I do well, then I can learn C++. It won't be an issue. And like when you challenge someone that ask me about your own research, right? So you knew and quite then he, well then. And the question then he switched to was, how will you build a machine learning model to solve New York Times crossword puzzle? And then we brainstormed for that for an hour. Uh-huh. And I'm assuming he gave me good marks. That's why I got the job. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say that that launched your career? Was was that sort of a breakout moment for you, getting hired at Google? Or was it inevitable? Was Pardon? Uh, I, I, I would agree that that was one of the breakout moments for me. Yeah. Because what happened is, what it... I think there were two things that Google showed me, among other things. One is what all you can do with data. What is the power of data? The reason why Google is one of the best search engines 
is because they have access to all the data in the world. Mm-hmm. Every query is happening over there. But the second other thing they taught me, which was very, very powerful, is most leaders that I interacted with Google were very hands-on, what in the details, knew their stuff in and out. Mm-hmm. And that gave me an appreciation that you don't need to be at the surface. If you are at the surface, you won't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. If you know what you are doing in and out, you will make much faster, much better progress. So an example of that is after a few months at Google, I went to someone and I said that, why are we not doing deep personalization over here? And in particular, it was Google News. Like, can you recommend people what stories to read? And I have all these fancy ideas about algorithms that you can use. Mm-hmm. And their reaction was, sounds good. If you think your algorithms are good, just go implement them. And I'm like, no, no, no. Actually, I'm a research scientist. I don't code, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, no, I mean, just code, figure it out. So I ended up doing that. But when I actually built the system and launched it, in the beginning, it didn't work. And very interesting example over there is people were clicking on more news stories that were irrelevant because it didn't make sense to them. Ah, I see. Interesting. If you go to New York Times and you read a story, title and abstract, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I got the gist. You move to the next one, right? But you see some random crazy story, you click on it, even though that may not be part of your interest. And that insight I would have never gotten had I handed over my code to someone else to run. Mm-hmm. Or my algorithm for someone else to implement. And that struck with me that build your systems, know the things in and out, be hands-on. And I think those are some of the key learnings. Yeah. It also gave me the confidence that, yes, you can learn new things and deliver on that stuff. Okay. Okay, so to carry along with the finding of this this uh, problem, was it at Google that you found it? And and um, tell me about that. At Google, what I found is that people were very focused on having good candidates, but then our definition of good was limited to our own knowledge base. Mm-hmm. So, for example, someone may say that I want to have people from good college. And, in fact, when you ask people, how many of you know about Fudan University in China? Most of them were like, we don't know anything about it, even yeah. though it happens to be a third-ranking university in China. Uh-huh. Or you ask someone about a specific organization, a startup, and if they have not heard about it, they will just ignore it, right? Yeah. Or you ask about a certain skill, and they may not be familiar with it in that language, and they will ignore it, right? So what I realized is that actually we are missing out on phenomenal candidates because of our own lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So that is what I experienced over there. And the second thing I experienced over there is success of the company depends on having the right people. Yeah. And when I started my next company, I again experienced both things. And it was a time for me to think about like, what can I do for society? Mm -hmm. How can I help people grow? So it was not actually, I didn't even do the business plan. I didn't estimate the market size. I was like, I need to solve employment. Is it a large problem, a small problem? Well, figure it out. So I just dove in, dived in into this problem saying that it is good for society, so I'm going to do it. Okay. Did you do this by yourself? Were you by yourself, or did you have a co-founder at this time? Um, I spent a few months by myself. Mm-hmm. But then there is this gentleman, Varun Kacholia. Both of us were together at Google, actually working together. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the smartest person I know. Yeah. I reached out to him and said, do you want to join me? I want to do this problem. Yeah, and he at that time was Facebook leading all the personalization at Facebook and newsfeed. Uh huh. 
so and between us now we had experience of google search facebook and youtube That's and effectively big. what we realized is we can spend our life recommending people what video to watch or what news article to read right right or we can help people with understanding what career to take yeah and so it's that impact is a, you were thinking that. impact at that time how do you get someone from Facebook? Presumably, he's doing—you know—he's doing pretty well at Facebook. If he's high up in Facebook, how do you get him to leave Facebook to come with your, your startup? Uh, I, I, at this time, it sounds like it's just an idea. How did you get him to to come over and take that leap of faith? Because it sounds like you didn't even have any funding at that time, right? It was more driven by passion for solving the problem, and okay. if we can do it, the impact we will have on society will be very, very large. Yeah. What I'm impressed about in Silicon Valley is there's so many people who are like making another X amount of dollars won't make a difference in our life. Yeah. If we can have an impact, that will go much further. Okay. So it was honestly, it was just impact because that sounds like it's a little bit hard to buy. Like you must have had something else going. Did I mean, was there any any type of assurances that, you know, okay, if you come over, you know, you know, I'll be able to get this amount of money or, or was it not about funds at all? He's totally independently wealthy at this point. <laughs> I can't speak for his wealth situation, but yes, it's driven by, and it was like, let's come together and let's do it together. Okay. We'll be partners in this whole thing together and let's make it happen. Okay. So you guys... Is he, is he, what, is he the CTO? Are you, what are you, the CEO and he's the CTO then? Right. Okay. Okay. So you've got the high up Facebook guy coming over to be the CTO. At this point, what was the, what was the, what did you have? What would be the, the idea that you were working on? Was it, was it still just, was there any code at all that you'd been writing? No, but let me carry it out. But that question gets asked me often that, Ashu, did you raise the money just on a PowerPoint deck? Mm -hmm. And underlying that, sometimes I hear is, how can you do that, right? Yeah. So were you all just fluff and just on PowerPoint deck and you raise money based on that, right? Yeah. But actually there is something a lot deeper than that over there. So before we raised even a single dollar, what we did was we connected with almost 50 large enterprises in US the mm -hmm. CHRO or head of talent. Mm -hmm. And our pitch was, if we can take your current employees data, build machine learning AI models based on that to understand who performs well in your organization, what skills are required, and then help you match with the right candidates, whether you are getting an inflow of candidates, applicants, identify who are the best fit for that job, or over the years you might have interacted with hundreds of thousands to millions of people, mine all the data from a past candidate pool and identify the best candidates for you, will that be of value to you? And 80% people said that, yes, that will be super valuable to us. Yeah. And we will be willing to pay quite a bit of money for that because we are spending so much time trying to find the good candidates and making mistakes or missing out on good candidates. So we knew the problem exists and there's a clear market for that. And if we were to do it, there are enough people we can go to to sell that. Okay. On the other hand, when I went to our investors, our potential investors, their thing was, we know you can implement this. Implementing this won't be hard for you. You have done it at Google and Facebook and your previous startup. So you know how to build these systems. Mm -hmm. So to us, testing you on whether you can build systems is not worth it. Mm -hmm. What's more important is 
what you have never done is actually sell. So if you're coming to us showing those 50 conversations that there are people who are ready to buy the solution, if we can implement it, then we are here to invest in you. So the, it sounds to me like when your CTO came over, he you had this you had this idea. It sounded like a PowerPoint presentation. Had you raised any money at that time? I think I had conversations going on with investors. Okay. It was all around the same time that happened. Okay, so but the, the the actual sequence was finding the fifty enterprise customers. So you first had those conversations, and yeah, once that you knew that, okay, once you knew that, had you been able to price it at all? Did you have it like you said you had no business plan, but did you have an idea like what this was worth to say one of these enterprises versus another, um, based on number of employees that they hire? So what we were able to see that each of those enterprises were, yeah, we'll pay 100K plus. That won't be an issue. Second thing, realizing that every large enterprise, you go to them and ask them, what is your budget for hiring? And the aha moment was their budget is north of hundreds of millions of dollars. So they're like, I'm spending hundreds of millions of dollars and I can't hire people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundreds so of anything millions. Anything you can do over there, it's a non issue. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, okay. I get it. So you're like, okay, we're on to a big, we're on to something big here. I want to know, though, to me, I would be terrified of fulfillment on this. So it's one thing to have an idea and to be able to go sell it, right? Because you have this sort of grand vision. I'm going to be able to find the right customer. Uh, sorry, the right employee for you based on certain criteria that you may not be knowledgeable about. So, you know, we're going to find you candidates that you ordinarily wouldn't find. Is that essentially, uh, am I stating that? I'll give you two examples. Yeah. To explain like how bad or how the problem was or how bad yeah. the problem or big the problem was. One of the customers I was talking to, they're like, for some roles, we are getting thousands of applications. Yeah. We take the first 100 applications. We pick the top 10 candidates from those and interview five. We don't even look at the other 900 applications that come to us. Okay. Okay. Now, instead of picking top 10 from 100, if you can pick top 10 out of 1,000, your quality okay. will just go up. Okay. I see. So you weren't necessarily... I was thinking that you had to go out. The, this, the, the, the platform would have to go out and find the candidates. Really what you're talking about is when you're approaching these enterprise companies and they're getting thousands of CVs or whatever they're getting and they just don't have the time. So you're feeding all of this information into your algorithm and you're, you're parsing and sorting and figuring out who the, the best candidates may be. Is that correct? Correct. Now I will give you one interesting story on that. Okay. When I was at Google... I mean, Google was a big brand name in those days as well. Yeah. And every a month or other, every other month, a friend of mine will reach out saying that, Ashu, can you please refer me? And I will go into the system to refer them. Yeah. And system will tell me that, oh, this person has already applied, so you won't get any referral bonus. Yeah. And I'm like, if you've already applied, why are you asking me to refer you, right? Yeah. I mean, you want me to do all the work, but you don't want me to make any money, right? And I have jokingly, right? And it, as it turns out, they're like, we applied, but no one got back to us. Oh, really? So actually, see, the beauty is, right? You take Bay Area. There are only 2 million professionals in Bay Area. It's not that you have such so many more people. Mm -hmm. 
But what happens is that when you are getting applicants, quite a few of them may not be relevant. And if 80% are not relevant, you just ignore everyone and you start sourcing outside. Or, you know, I mean, I'm sure you have seen this company study. Oh, yeah, we don't have an opening for you. We'll keep you in our system and we'll get back to you as and when we have an opening for you. Yeah, right. And I can hear in your voice that, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure you will. Yeah. <laughs> Delete. You're never, I'm never going to hear from that person again. If you can make just that thing real for people. Okay, I see. Just that thing. So you, so you have all these people that have already applied and then you could go back through which is which is true a lot of companies have a lot of this data from people maybe like a, a year ago that applied for another position and, and and then that position comes up so they have all this data now now tell me how you can sort this data and qualify a candidate just based on the cv like what i mean are you giving them tests or how do you know that the information first of all that they're giving is is accurate because maybe they've sort of puffed it up a bit or you know how, how can you qualify candidates so well yeah so the first one quick thing is that was our initial pitch of course things have evolved a lot since then and we are doing yeah. a lot of things more yeah but to answer your question more technically Right now, what I see in the industry is that there, there is too much emphasis on inter one hour, two hour interview, and we ignore everything they have done in the past. Uh-huh. And effectively, we go in saying that we don't trust your evaluation by your college. We don't trust your evaluation by your previous company. What All we will trust is our one hour interview. And to me, that is what's broken. Mm-hmm. So what we do are two, three things. One is we take everyone's career, look at the journey they have gone and use that to understand what they can learn quickly, what kind of roles they're likely to be successful in, okay. what kind of organizations they're likely to go and join, and based on what other people like them are doing. Mm-hmm. So think about it, right? If someone comes to you for an advice, can you please help me think through what should I do next? You will mm-hmm. do pattern matching against 5, 10, 50 people you have seen similar to that individual. Mm-hmm. With AI, we can do the same thing based on learning coming from almost a billion plus people across the globe. Second thing is the big challenge is exactly what you said. People can say what they want in their resume. But Mm -hmm. what we are able to do is look at resume of other people in the same job, in the same organization. And effectively, John is saying this and Mary is saying this. Both are in the same team in the same company. Can I use this data? You can think of it as age-old collaborative filtering. Based on 10 resumes from the same team in the same company, I think this is what they are likely to do. This is what they are unlikely to do. If one person is making some audacious claim, another nine people are not, I'll just put a question mark over there. This claim needs to be validated. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if a woman is not representing herself completely, she's only putting two skills, but all her male counterparts are putting 10 skills. Maybe she knows other eight skills. She just is underselling herself. Mm-hmm. So we are able to do much better job at normalizing everyone. Okay. Now, do you do that over the platform? So, for example, if you have some information from company from client B and then client C, do you pool that? Do you know that someone is looking for a job, and do you like contact them and say, "Hey, I saw that you applied for this position in company B." that there's a position in company C that's available. Are you interested in that? I mean, do you approach them at all in that way? Uh, not right now, because that is no. the private data about each company and each individual. 
Okay. But what we try to do is do aggregate learning across everyone and, and okay. optimize question. Okay, so you can you can take this all of this this collective pool of data and and use it to improve your algorithms and but you just can't contact them. You couldn't go out and contact them. So, getting back to the startup story, what did you do to um, fund the MVP? Did you go out? You got these fifty enterprise clients. Did any of them commit with? Saying if you can do this, we'll give you. You know, we'll buy a year in advance. Did you take any pre-sales? If I, I'm doing it again, I would do yeah. that. You would, okay. At that time, I was not that smart on the business side. Okay. I many of them said that yes, come back to us, and we will definitely talk to you. Okay. Now, why why would you do that again? How did how did that like? How would you do that if you were going to go back? What would you do? This time, if I'm doing it, I will go back yeah. to them and say that okay. Commit, let's say half a million dollar. Yeah. And you will effectively get the software at 30% discount compared to your peer group. And you will be my design partner as I'm building this. Yeah. That's the value you get. And if this problem is really material to you, then why are you not comfortable doing it? Uh, think about it, right? Today, if you want to go buy your Tesla, you make the payment, and then three months later, the car comes to you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same concept that if you believe in it, if you think this is valuable to you, come into it now. Mm-hmm. And it's mainly about testing how important and critical the problem is for them. Yeah. If someone comes and says that I should have solved this pain that you are having, I need to build this medicine. It will take me a year to build. It will cost me a million dollars. You pay me ten k now. Yeah. 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 What, what do I lose, right? Because if you don't build it, give me the money back. Right? Or I don't pay you until you build it, but I'm committing that I will pay you when you are ready. That's right. And, so and to you me, didn't that is that. You didn't I didn't do, do that, that to that extent, but many of those people bought it instantly as soon as it was ready. Okay, they did. All right. So when you went to get funding, did you put any of your own money into it to start the MVP? No. You didn't. Okay. So you went and got funds. How much did you think that you needed to? To build this platform because it sounds quite sophisticated. When it comes to financing, mm-hmm. my thesis is there are so many risks in a startup. The more you can remove, the better, or more likely you will be successful. So when it comes to financing, think about what is the minimum money you need. But on the other hand, if you can get more, get more. Okay. Because you don't want to. You want to reduce the risk, right? Right. So we ended up raising roughly five and a half million dollars. In 2016. Okay. In 2016, five and a half million. Now that's just you. What was the team at that time? Was it just you and your CTO? Correct. And there was no code. It was all literally from a, a, a PowerPoint presentation. Is that right? <laughs> uh, yes. All right. You're a salesman, right? <laughs> You're definitely a salesman. Would you call yourself a salesman? I mean, this is that's some pretty. I mean, there's not too many sales stories that that I've heard of that been that successful maybe in the valley there are right because i don't hang out with any heavy hitters like that in the valley but would you i mean what tell me about that because that that's i mean that process how long did it take that's a big sale so the thing is that because i had already done one more startup which was fairly successful okay most people knew me and have seen the track record okay it was a track record and what what was the other startup um, it, it's in the e-commerce space, Bloom Reach. Okay. 
And so how it's, and what? It's just what a private was, was it in the e machine learning as well? Yeah, using machine learning for recommendation for shopping. Okay. Okay. And so you you had an exit. So that was something that that the the VCs were sort of interested in. What's the track record? Um, okay. And and so you went to this. You guys have pretty uh, prestigious background because you're coming from Google and Facebook, relatively high up. So there was some track record in history for you guys to be able to raise money. But the idea, it sounds like it must be. Was it well received from the VCs, or like, oh, this is this is? I mean, was it hard to do? How many did you have to speak to? So I mainly spoke to the investors who were also the investor in my previous company. Okay. But uh, I think if I were to ask them today, they will tell me that we thought there's something here, but a lot needs to be proven in the on the front of idea. But we are confident that you won't give up. You will keep trying. Okay. So you get the five and a half million. What's the first thing that you do when you get that much? Is it just hiring like mad? And you need to you need the solution probably to to help you with hiring too, right? So we build a team of four five people. Uh huh. Uh, started in September of 2016, and by December of 2016, like four months in, mm -hmm. we had four or five customers using us and paying us. Okay, you did. Okay, so I want to hear about that. Where did you get the team? Were they all people that you knew? Did you bring some other people over from Facebook? Uh, no, but the other people uh, I knew through other channels. Okay, so it was all network then for you to hire this core team. Correct. Okay. And compensation-wise, were you giving them market rate, like what they were getting before, or how did you bring them over? Was it more of an impact play with them as well? More of an impact and promise of more money if it's very successful. Okay. So there were some options then. Yeah. Okay. And you got customers within four months, which is great. What? Where did you start with the um the, with the MVP? I want to know about like um like how you how you were able to like where do you start with something like that that's that that sophisticated? You just start. Where do you get the data? Uh, so I think our, our key thing was so we coming out of Google and Facebook. One good thing was we knew how to crawl the web. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whatever data is easily available on the web, we crawled it, built some models based on that and stuff, and. Uh, went to these uh, potential customers and had them involved from practically day one. Mm -hmm. In fact, okay. some of them over time ended up investing money in us as well. Customers. Okay. And said that, here is what we can do for you. And of course, as we integrate, we start working with you. We learn from your data and do more. And so they're like, yeah, let's try it out. Let's sign a one-year contract and see how things go. So essentially, you did pre-sale them. So, so uh, right away, was the solution working when you had these four or five customers? It was working to some extent, yes. It was, okay. And how was that when you brought them on? Were they sort of helping you? They, they were sort of, did, you, did they end up becoming sort of uh, champion customers that were giving you product feedback and saying, this is not working the way we need it to be? How, exactly. how was that with it? Yeah. Exactly. In fact, and then we brought in another large company out of India in early 2017. And four years in, that company is our flagship customer. And really? in fact, the head of talent acquisition has also joined us full-time now as an employee. Okay. And yes, there were days when you feel like these customers are pushing you too hard. 
Yeah, yeah. And you're like, you would rather have customers who push you hard than customers who do ignore you, right? Right. Did you focus on any type of niche in terms of um, the customers, the, the the employees that you would focus on, where they software developers, or did it not matter? Um, it could be marketing, CMO, or no. That's a very good question, and we thought a lot about that, right? And our thing was that every company is hiring for every role, or almost every role. Mm-hmm. The ratio may change, right? A mm-hmm. hospital may have a lot more doctors than engineers, and a company like Google will have a lot more engineers and doctors, right? Mm-hmm. But at some level, both are hiring for both roles. Second is, if you start specializing too much, then you can't scale. And if you're learning from the data, and that was my our experience at Google, right? People will make and search for whatever they want to search. Mm-hmm. And it works. And the reason it works is because no one is manually codifying it, right? It's all learned from the data. So our thing was, can we find patterns and learn from the data irrespective of the role or even language? And that worked out really well for us. Okay. So you essentially started and it didn't matter. Was it didn't matter what position. So maybe you would go to, uh, say, say um, a healthcare company and they would need some developers and then they would need some hiring managers and they would need some admin. Uh, and well, you were f- helping with all of that. So these companies use us for all the roles they're hiring for. Mm-hmm. Today, we have customers like one of the largest mining companies in the world, mm-hmm. one of the largest pharmaceutical companies, uh, one of a very large hospital, multiple telecom companies, tech companies, financial institutions, insurance, logistics, retail, e-tail, across every vertical. And we have customers using us in 15 plus languages, like in Korea, in China, in India, in Europe, South America, and so on. Uh-huh. Are there any, it's, it sounds like it would be very, very broad to, when you first got started, did you, fo- did you find that you needed to focus just in the valley or was there anything that you did to help sort of narrow this down? Because it sounds like it would be very difficult to, to do it so broad, you know, I would want to go in and, and kind of get it, make sure that the machine learning algorithms are working with a subset of this data before I expand it to, you know, into these other areas. I would say the way we focus a lot more is saying that we need to master our matching algorithm. You need to instead of building all the workflows, yeah, and all the experiences, we will just focus on building matching. Matching, okay. So all our energy, like on the engineering side, was focused on just if we solve matching, connecting people to the right job, then other things won't matter. So instead of segmenting that, let me build a complete solution for healthcare or software developers, right? Uh huh. I like, let's build a matching engine that works and everything else can come later on. Okay. And was it, how long did it take to, for you to feel like, okay, we've got product market fit? Or well, you... I still have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you've obviously got product market fit, right? Because yeah. you're, you're, you're doing, you know, you're doing millions in, in monthly revenues. But was there a time... Where I imagine in the beginning you're, you 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 have sort of this fledgling platform that's quite shakily solving this problem, but you have some customers that believe in in what you're doing. At what point did you feel like okay, this works, and we're onto something? Do you remember that time? Was there a time that you remember? I don't think there was any 
one moment. Mm-hmm. But I'll give you two, three examples of that. Yeah. Uh, one is in March of 2017, we signed Tata Communications out of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this the big one you were talking about? The big, the big Indian company. Early okay. days. Yeah. And I was actually out there meeting my parents, visiting them. In what part what of India? To, uh, New Delhi. Okay. I came back and I told the team, if we make this customer successful, we are going to be here forever. Yeah. So do whatever it takes to make them successful. Second was me signing a large contract with a mining company out of Brazil. Uh-huh. And it was second moment where if this company is going to be successful with us, then anyone can be successful okay. with us. Okay. Okay. I want to go back to in- the Indian company. How long did it take for them to be be successful? Was this like a month-long onboarding process or, or what was... I would say they did a three-month pilot with us. Three-month pilot, okay. Before and how did they know that it was actually working? I want to I wanna sort of understand like what you actually are, you know, how... Take me through the process of where the Indian company was before um, Eightfold and then after. Like walk me through this. How did they actually know it was working? So I met them, I think, in February of... January of 2017, yeah. during my trip to India, they're like, okay, yeah, let's try out a pilot. And very first thing is that you need to integrate with success factors because that is where our data is. Mm-hmm. So we did all that integration for them in a month. And then they started playing with the product, seeing how well our matching is working. And they did some AP tests where there are some recruiters will use it, some recruiters won't use it. Or for some roles, they will use it for the roles they won't. And by May, June, they're like, yeah, it's working. Okay, so they had they were measuring data. So they were they had some KPIs for new hires. They're saying how are these doing? Here's a control group without, and here's a here's a group that that's using eightfold. That's and then they said the stats are much better. That that was it. And actually, the good thing for us, which they never told us at that time, mm-hmm. is they had tried this thing with multiple other companies. Uh-huh. So we were not the first one. So yeah. very first thing is. They were like, no one else in the past was successful in integrating the success factors in your space. So they're like, we didn't even believe when you said you will do the integration. We thought they are, you are just joking. You are just faking. <laughs> but when you just did it, we had a lot more faith in you. Yeah. Uh, and Was that difficult? Was that, that seems like a, a, a bit of a um, risk for you because if you're into, you do all this custom integration work, did you charge them for that? Not in the early days, no. No. Okay. Not in the pilot. Okay, uh, so this, this is like that stage. My thing was that, see, you find few customers, you commit to making them work. Yeah. To me, charging them is mainly around whether they have commitment to work with you or not. Uh-huh. Like make, getting 50K dollars from them is not going to make or break the company. Mm-hmm. But what I needed was their commitment that they will work with us during the pilot phase. And they made that genuine commitment. We were still also very early. Yeah. So you do, um, you you and your team did the integration with success success factors. That API work take what uh, like a month or something. I think our team did it in a few weeks. A few weeks, okay. So then you got the you got that because it takes a little bit of time just to to onboard these employees, right? So that's pretty getting data back pretty quickly for the for the Indian company, I guess. Um, so can you attribute like that specifically? You know, what you say is the is a sort of 
you know, like give me an example of what would make why your platform would choose one candidate over another based on, you know, on on their backgrounds. Give me an example. So I've got two software developers. They've go, both got eight years experience. They're .NET. You know, what what would your platform look for to make one better than another? So I'll give you more. Some, I mean, some simpler examples, right? Is yeah. Let's say you're looking for a Java engineer. Yeah. Or a .NET developer. I mean, let's say Java engineer, right? Yeah. If suppose there's a candidate who has not done Java but is an expert in Python and C plus plus, should you show that candidate, bring that candidate back or not? And our system will say that, oh, if this candidate knows C plus plus and Python, they can learn Java quickly. Okay. So they are a good candidate for you as well. And if everyone in the market is looking for Java engineers. Then what's happening is that Java engineers are very hard to hire, mm-hmm. but these people who know C++ and Python with a very high learnability for Java will be easier to hire. Okay. And you could probably see how quickly maybe they learned in a previous position, how quickly they learned another technology. Maybe use That's one. And if there are other people with C++ and Python experience, have they ever switched to Java or not in their career? Mm-hmm. Okay. And for so you... Pattern matching. For your customers, um, you, do they need like they need to be a certain number of employees? So, so like, what's the minimum that you would say? Is it like five hundred employees or something? What's the minimum? So, I would say if that's more driven right now by the go-to-market cost for us. Okay. So our primary focus is companies with few thousand employees or more. Okay. But we do have customers which go below that. Okay. Um, how about Plans, what, what, how far along are you for your impact? Do you feel like you're making impact right now? We're making impact. Yeah. But I think we're just scratching the surface. You are, okay. The problem is so large, so big. Yeah. So what, what's the end goal for you right now? Are you not even thinking about an end goal? What's the next goal for you? you just keep building. Just keep building, okay. Our, one of our cultural values is excellence. Uh-huh. And the way we define excellence is just make sure today is better than yesterday and tomorrow will be better than today. Yeah, I like it. Just keep doing that. I like that. Ashtosh, I want to make sure I get you off for your, ne- your next call. I want to thank you so much for your time. Obviously, we'll have eightfold.ai in the show notes, but how can anyone reach out to you or find out more about uh, what you're working on? Uh, my email address is ashutosh at eightfold.ai. Okay. Anyone can reach out uh, with any questions. I'm super Great. excited for you giving me this opportunity. Yes, it was a pleasure. I, I've I've found it very fascinating. It's you're not our usual guest, I will admit, but it's uh, been very interesting nonetheless. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And Thanks. it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. Yeah.